Blog Talk Radio. This is the Back Porch Writer Podcast, the show for writers, about writers, and writing. It's live, fun, and informative. Each week, I chat with writers, editors, and industry pros to give you and me a heads up about this whole new awesome publishing world. Back Porch Writer is about creating the life that you want through writing and publishing. Are you ready to tap submit? Let's explore the possibilities together. Welcome to Back Porch Writer. Welcome to Back Porch Writer, the show for writers, about writers, and writing. I'm your host, Corey Miller, and today is March 8, 2017. And it's been a very bright, cheery day. Not terribly warm yet. You know, it's March in Nebraska, so we could have a day where it's 70, 75 degrees, and then, you know, 20 degrees. <laughs> so that's what it's like in March in Nebraska. In fact, we're expecting snow Saturday, and that just boggles the brain. But again, this is Nebraska. This is how it is here. This is how we roll. So I've said in the past, if you ever come to Nebraska, you really need to be prepared. Have some shorts. Have a rain jacket or something. Perhaps a winter coat if it happens to be March when you visit, because you'll need something a little warmer if you're not used to our kind of climate, especially if you come from the, the West Coast. Just a heads up, give me the warning, give me the 411, that's what I'm doing, that's why I'm here, just to tell you what's going on. Today, I was, you know, I'm in school, so I'm listening to, watching, reading all sorts of information, and I was watching a video called Laughology. I haven't finished it yet, I got most way through before I needed to go uh, to meet a friend for lunch, and it was really quite good. So go check out Laughology, it's talking about one man's journey to learn to laugh again, uh, because he, both he and his wife just have gotten to a point, and what he points out, actually says about other adults, is you know we get to a point where we just don't laugh all that much anymore. And apparently, this is a really social activity, so you can't just sit in a room and start laughing for no reason, because that might indicate that you have some other issues. But you need other people in order to laugh, and apparently, laughing is contagious. So he and his wife were having a really hard time with this because they had experienced them major events in their lives and then they had and one of those major events actually was that they had their first child and one of the things that they noticed because they had been both depressed they had both lost their parents before their child was born and so they were feeling like oh we have no one to show our child to that was kind of where they were at and then they noticed one day that their their baby around two or three months of age laughed turns out most babies will laugh around two or three months of age Blind babies do it, blind deaf babies do it, blind deaf babies who aren't really sensitive to touch do it. So there's been a lot of research in the area of of laughing and how this relates to our sense of well-being. So I encourage you to go check out Laughology. Even though I haven't finished it all, I watched 40 minutes so far. It's about an hour or so long. Very, it's entertaining and informative. The, the man that's, that's uh, narrating the whole thing, the husband in the scenario, is a journalist by trade. So essentially a serious uh, life position or type of work um, with the things that he reports on or, or sees and things like that. And that actually brings up a good point because one of the things that the interviewees were talking about is you know, this: the idea that we are suffering from seriousness it's kind of a big deal, and it tends to happen in the United States quite a bit. So I encourage you to go check out Laughology and see if that can help you increase your sense of overall well-being. Because that's one of the things that I study. 
tonight, we are not going to be talking about necessarily a sense of well-being, though it might come up, because my guest tonight is Susanna J. Linton, and she writes Dark Fantasy. And I am not quite sure what that means when you say Dark Fantasy. All these really scary things come into my mind when I put those two words together. So I'm hoping that she can clear that up for me just a little bit. Susanna, welcome to Backports Writer. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. So, okay, the word dark, the word fantasy, you throw those two things together. And as I just said, that's kind of scary for me. So <laughs> what distinguishes dark fantasy from fantasy? Well, uh, dark fantasy uh, deals more with darker themes. It touches on um, aspects uh, like slavery, rape, um, and maybe not even necessarily those things. Um, it tends to, um, I think, have more to do with the struggle between good and evil. Uh, well, all fantasy does, really. But I, I, I think it just, it, it's a, any kind of fantasy with like a darker tone to it. Um, though that doesn't mean there aren't moments of laughter and hilarity and, and um, sarcastic joking, which I'm a big fan of. So uh, I, I think that it, it's, it's more along the lines of a darker tone. So what attracted you to write in that genre or that subgenre? I don't think it was something that really attracted me. I just sort of found myself writing it. Um, I, I, I do have an interest in, in darker tone things like the Netflix show and Stranger Things, um, those YouTube channels that read, you know, scary stories or real life, true, supposedly real life scary stories that people submit or they find on Reddit. I listen to those things for fun. Um, and, and I, I enjoy horror movies. So I guess that just sort of all just bled into my writing. So interesting. I had lunch with a friend today. And we got to talking about books and movies and going back and forth about that. And she was relating to me how she has another friend who, when that friend goes to see movies, she just wants to be entertained. She doesn't want uh-huh. scare factor, boo-hoo, cry, none of that. And I was laughing because I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty much like that too. I'm going to be entertained. I view books the same way. So I cannot at this point in my life, and I've been this way for several years now, I can't read books that get too too dark for me um, because then I start to dream about it and I find that really disruptive. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, well, I can't I mean, do that. Oh, it's funny that you say that because when I was really listening to those like video um, videos on YouTube uh, um, about the, um, you know, the scary stuff that they write in, I actually right. um, one night, you know, I had been listening to those things really heavily. One night I just sat up in bed and scream bloody murder. I don't even remember having a nightmare. I just screamed. Huh? My husband's in the military, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> so it, it startled him. He actually got, because the dogs went outside and they started barking because we have two kind of overprotective dogs. They started barking at everything because they thought mama was in distress. And then the, my husband was so concerned that he actually went and he checked the perimeter. <laughs> and, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it affects, it affects things. I, I don't think I'm too dark. I think I'm probably on the lighter side of the dark, so to speak. I haven't, I haven't <laughs> gotten really crazy with it, um, because then I wouldn't be able to read it because I don't like stuff that's too dark either. Um, 
but I'm not. I I, I like to kind of delve into the darker tones of, of things sometimes. No, I I saw in your bio that you were a Buffy the Vampire Slayer watcher. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm a complete fan. I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I talked about that. Show I'm recently. actually rewatching it. I'm actually rewatching <laughs> it now. So I'm in season yeah. three. Like I'm in the like the the before the the. The, the showdown with the mayor. I got so mad at Angel. Oh, I was so mad. I'm like, <laughs> to the palm. Why? What is wrong with you? Oh, See, I was I've watched, so mad at my laptop. I've watched and rewatched every season. I don't even know how many times. <laughs> because I love it. And, and you so, know, and it's interesting because that's clearly dark fantasy, but yeah. it's got different, it's got layers of it, kind of like what you were describing. Yeah. Like there is one season, no, there are two maybe two seasons in the entire series where things got, in my opinion, overwhelmingly dark. And well, James Marsters, who played Spike, said that, that the show started taking itself too seriously at a certain point. So it might yeah. have been, he might have been referring to those two same two seasons that you're thinking of. Maybe, maybe. One of them was the when she comes back and just starts to plummet. You know, and that's when she gets involved with Spike pretty heavy and all that. Yeah. That was, that went down a road that I didn't care for (laughs) in my, my Buffy fandom. I I like that. I, I'm, I'm a, they call it a Spuffy shipper. I like Spike and Buffy, but I'm always attracted to the bad boy anyway. Um, But uh, I, 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 yeah, I see what you're saying because I think, I think for a show, like you were saying with layers, you know, because it was from shows like, you know, Buffy that I've learned you should always have that one sarcastic person in the group who, you know, at the worst moment will make a lighthearted joke. And that Xander, Xander would do that. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, then you also have need, need that character who stands off to the side and say, tells the, the hero, the main character, you're an idiot and you're going to die. And, and Cordelia had that role, in the role and Spike took that over and, and, um, so yeah, but you're right. It did get kind of, you know, starting really to start starting to lose those layers. See, and I like Spike. I even didn't have a total issue with the relationship between the two. In some ways, I thought it was inevitable, but it was more yeah, that really. there was a tone. There was some sort of tone there that wasn't quite right. And the very next season, it changed again, and it went back to what I was used to in the first several you know, right. series before that. So it's very interesting. And of course, the last, the last season in the whole show is quite dark, <laughs> you know, but yeah. it had to be in I, that, in that whole I series. Think, yeah. I think once a show gets down towards its end, you can always tell when a show is getting close to its time of death, because that's when it starts mm-hmm. to start to really take itself too seriously. It starts losing that charm it had originally. I had the same problem with Supernatural. I had to stop. I stopped watching Supernatural. I, I couldn't because the I had problems with the plot and the storytelling. And but it too started taking itself too seriously, and and it lost that campy horror feel that it had in the beginning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if you watched you know, Supernatural. I I watched a little bit of it, but I couldn't get get quite into it. My uh, it depends my on which season you try to dive it. into. What? It, it depends on which season, I suppose, you, you dive into. I, I find that the first I started season is probably. First. Oh well. But it, <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what didn't click for me, but something just didn't 
at that time click for me. It doesn't mean it won't click later. Yeah. Like I won't pick it up and go, oh, let's see what it's all about again. I mean, that can happen. That happened with a couple other things I looked at. But it, I mean, it's, it's interesting. So we're talking about movies, but it's, it's a similar thing with books. So when you get into a book, it's why, you know, series are so popular, you know, you get into a book and you think this is phenomenal and you're really, really liking it. And then you get to like the third book in their series and you're starting to go, wait a minute. Oh my gosh. I'm having the same problem with the Mercy Thompson series. I just read Silence Fallen and I was so mad. I'm still a little mad (laughs) because, because when I saw Silence Fallen, you see that really dark cover and you're just like oh my gosh Patricia Briggs what are you about to do and I and you and I read the like a two paragraph little um description you know it says where she's like in Prague and she's all alone and what is she going to do and I'm like oh my gosh finally a book where Mercy is totally alone you know and the whole thing conveyed one thing and then handed you another and 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 at one point I'm just like did, did her editor go to sleep or something I mean it was just it was just like it, it, I hate seeing authors who have a chance at all these possibilities and not follow through with them. And and um, I guess maybe that's part of what makes dark fantasy what it is is that you see that possibility and you just you go for it. So. Mm-hmm. I think part of it, it's not just in dark fantasy though because even I read mystery thrillers, so even mystery thrillers I've I've got to push myself to write things that I don't necessarily like to write. I have to write Mm -hmm. scenes that I don't necessarily want to visualize in my head. And so it can be really hard to to jump there, you know, for me to go there. So I imagine that may happen with some other authors and other genres like dark fantasy. Sometimes it might be hard so you can see it, but it might be hard for them to actually leap and get there. Something's just stopping them from doing it. Maybe. Yeah. I just a guess. I found it a I found it a little difficult to write some of the slavery scenes be, um, in um, in my Clara and Clara's Return. Well, Clara is really where it's primarily you have slavery, and um, I it was actually way darker than how it came out. Originally, I had it, you know, really just um, there was insinuations of possible rape and whatnot, and then a friend of mine was just like, you know, you need to cool it because you went a little too far here. Um, but it wasn't just that. But it's also the fact, you know, I'm from the South, and there, there is that ugly aspect to Southern history. And mm. when you sit and you write about it, and, and um, you know, it's sort of fantasy world, so there's, there's not necessarily that same clash of races, but you still get the feeling of you're usurping something. And, um, but I just felt like it was, it was something that, would be fundamental to the development of the character. So um, I don't know if I explored it as well as I could have, but I, mm-hmm. I did my best, and that's really the, the most any author can do, honestly. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It's interesting that someone gave you feedback that you, you uh, apparently were going a, a bit too far in, yeah. in your description. Yeah. I, you know, for me, it, it's interesting. I, used, I still feel this way, actually. I used to read mysteries by men and women and then for several years I was reading mysteries that were only written by female authors and they had female protagonists and so that's an area that I'm really well versed in familiar with and I have a female protagonist and she's a badass because that's what I wanted to write but what I about, well you know they exist 
That's all there is to it. Yeah. <laughs> so no fantasy there. Badass women exist. There you go. Yeah. In case anybody listening didn't know that, we exist. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the thing that was different that I noticed was that whenever I would read a guy's book and he was describing, let's say he was describing a sex scene or he was describing a rape scene, it would be so graphically detailed that I would want to just vomit. I mean, I would have this yeah. intense reaction to it. And thinking, oh my God, who who really wants to have that in their head? Okay, I'm a female. I don't want to have to have that in my head. I don't want to think about those things. I don't want to visualize that. But when I would read women who might describe something similar, they would not describe it in as much graphic detail as the men. Right. You know, I wouldn't be able to describe happen. in graphic t- detail myself either. I could insinuate all I wanted to, and I could have the threat there, but that would, it would always make me tense up to write it. And I wanted to get into George R.R. R. Martin's um, Age of Fire and Ice series. I think it's supposed to be called The Game of Thrones. I mm-hmm. wanted to get into that because it sounded like the high, dark, darkish fantasy that normally would appeal to me. And then a friend of, you know, a friend of mine said, oh, it's full of rape and murder and more rape and all that. And, and I, I couldn't, and I wouldn't incest. be able to. Yeah, and incest. They, yeah, I mean, I the Guillermo del Toro movie, um, Crimson Peak, had incest in it, and I was worried I was going to have to walk out of the theater. But luckily, he handled it more or less tastefully. Um, you know, it's just you, you kind of have to find what you can stomach and and say, okay, this is a line, and I'm not going to cross it. And I've noticed that that I agree with you. That line is very different for men than it is with women. I don't know what it is about men that makes them feel more comfortable to write graphically about that stuff, but it appears to be a thing. And I think it might I be just, because they I don't, don't necessarily experience it. They don't necessarily well, experience it in the same way that women do. That's right, my well, guess. Rape does happen among rape does happen among oh, men. Oh, it does. It happens, it does. but it it's not talked about. It's not talked about, and it's not, you know, um, it kind of gets played down in media and in other places. And um, anytime it shows up, you know, it's applauded because it's being talked about like, um, oh, gosh, that series about the time-traveling lady and she marries the Scotsman. I can't remember what it's called, but he gets apparently raped in, a, in an episode and in the book, too. And people are talking about how daring that was. Um so it's important to shine a light on that, but but you're, you're, I think you might be right that it's just that men don't maybe don't process it in the same way. I don't know. It's something that I, I'm not that knowledgeable mm-hmm. about. Well, there's the theory. I think that men are more visual. I don't know that I buy into this. I'm just going to say it, but that maybe men are more visual than women, and maybe that has something to do with why they're describing it in such graphic detail. Yeah, I don't um, buy that don't either because that women true, are just as visual. Yeah, I mean, I mean we just – yeah, I mean, I'm pretty question. visual. I'm a visual yeah. learner. That's the only way I can learn anything. So, But it's an interesting yeah, I don't question. Know. Why, why do women generally – why do women authors generally describe these things with more nuance? I mean, that's – or finesse. You know what? <laughs> Those are two great words You know what? Them. It might be – it might be because women come at it from an emotional perspective and men come at it more from an action perspective because men tend to be more doers and women tend to be more intuitive. And that 
you know, and that's not, of course, that's not, not, you know, I know that's a generalization, but that, that, you know, tends to be, I mean, be true. I mean, don't we often, when, when a woman argues with a man, you know, and, or expresses her feelings and he immediately wants to solve the problem. It's like, no, I want you to listen. Don't solve my problem. And, and I think that might be part of the root, the root of that, that men are active and women are more intuitive. I mean, not every woman's like that. Not every man is like that, but it, might be a more of a enough of a like a base sort of thing, mm-hmm. if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense to me. I guess it's interesting. So your book, yeah, the first one was Clara. Second one's yeah. Clara's return. Is um, what's the overall story here? I mean, we've already thrown out there that there's slavery involved, but what well, else is going on? Yeah. Yeah, well, Clara, um, it, it's a Clara is about um, oh, obviously the title character's name is Clara, and she um has the ability to see the future, but she doesn't understand what it means. So she doesn't, you know, as a kid, she doesn't tell people. People just know she kind of zones out for some reason, and she gets um sold into slavery so that her parents can pay a debt, um, and she sees a vision that prompts her to save the life of her master, um. Because her moral compass has been formed by their dominant religion, and and she knows all she knows is is murder is wrong, so she does it. But it gets her thrown into the budding civil war in the country, and by this point she's a young woman, and so she meets people from her past, but they aren't the people that she knew. Like they're they they've changed, and she starts to realize that that things aren't as being told to her. She's just receiving. And so she realizes that in order to understand what's really going on behind this war and understand who these people really are that are manipulating and using her, she's going to have to strike out on her own. And so that's the first book. And um, so the second book takes place some months after the beginning of the first one. And she is, you know, the Civil War is over and done with, but she's still on a path to understand herself. But as she goes on a quest to understand her own background and why does she see the future and how come she looks different from everybody else, even though she was born in that nation, in that kingdom, um, there is a new traitor in the kingdom Mm -hmm. because the kingdom is kind of new and young again because there's a new king on the throne. And so it's threatening the stability of the kingdom. So she's torn. Does she keep on with her quest or does she turn back? You know, because there are people who are threatened that she really cares about, and so that's that's the second book. Mm-hmm. So, will there be a third? I am currently working on a third. So, and I I was trying to write. I I don't have a title for it yet. It's still very hmm. rough, rough draft. Okay. Technically, I'm starting the third chapter. <laughs> I know, you know. So, so um, but yeah. Yeah, and my, my other book is. You, how long take you to write generally, like your first draft? Oh, it depends. Clara um, was the was the the child of a thousand different drafts I've written, like through my teenage years, um, but and before it finally solidified into something. But Clara's return, I wrote the rough draft in a month because it was na- part of NaNoWriMo. <laughs> and, uh, oh, and then I think it, 
I know, right? If, that book would have never <laughs> happened if it wasn't for Nano. And um, I think it took me another six months to a year before it was out and in people's hands. Um, so it it can take um, a few months to a year before a, uh, I can get a book published, generally. Uh, but the rough draft can take itself can take anywhere between a month to three months, whether or not I take advantage of NaNoWriMo. Mm-hmm. Now, I noticed in your when you signed up for the the interview here, you know, everybody, if you've never done this before with me, there's some questions that I ask, and one of them right. has to do with marketing. And you mentioned that you learned that the cover was a really big deal. So tell me a little bit oh, about yeah. that. I, you know, you know how there's always that one picture of you when you're a t- teenager that you wish would just, you know, burn in the depths of hell and never be seen by anybody again, but it keeps turning back up. That's that's my original covers for my first two books, <laughs> you know, th- that same sentiment. Um, because when I went to publish Clara, I just made a cover. I had a picture of the um, Appalachian Mountains. I took myself, I took a, you know, and I, I had just learned how to use Photoshop, so I made a picture. And then when Willow's a Fate, my, my book that's part of another series, you know, I made my own cover for that too. And Kate Tilton, who is an author assistant, you know, I approached her and I wanted to use her um blog uh, outreach uh, uh, mm-hmm. service. And she said, uh, Susanna, I, I think you might want to get um, some some new covers. Covers. I'm like, what? <laughs> and so I, I looked, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Because <laughs> they were awful. Like, what was the fate? It looked like I had stolen it from Stephanie Myers, the host. I didn't even notice that I had done that. And uh, mm-hmm. um, so I started looking around and um, found Fiona Jade Media, and she redid my covers for me. And the the different response was just, it was night and day. I went from hardly anybody ever being interested to actually gaining interest. And I would always get um, compliments. The Willows of Fate cover seems to be everybody's favorite because it's a woman in a red dress. And to me, it looks like she's standing in a pool of steamy blood, but, and, uh, you know, and there's this hulking figure in the background. And I remember there was one review where somebody kind of picked apart the novel. And then, but at the end of it, he said, if you buy it for anything else, buy it for the cover. It's gorgeous. <laughs> like, I told Fiona, she was just, she was over the moon with that. So. Mm-hmm. Actually, mm-hmm. I actually tried. I talked to her about turning it into a poster, and she said that what was all the rights we would have to get for it, it the poster itself would probably end up costing a couple of thousand dollars. And I said, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> People are just going to have to admire it <laughs> on their Kindles or in their hard, hard copies. Well, you're right. The the cover thing is a, is a huge, hairy deal. The um, first book that I published was in 2011, and the cover was – okay and I liked it initially but it didn't it didn't jump it didn't have meaning it didn't make sense right. to other people when they thought and so there were we issues. really do judge books by cover yeah we really do judge, do judge books by cover that's what grabs our attention mm-hmm. you know absolutely be it, we see it online or we're walking through a um bookstore you know it's, it's the cover it's the color it's the action and the emotion that's portrayed on the the cover that can really grab, of course, covers can mislead as well. Um, yes, if you can. have a, yeah, it, you know, it, I remember um, going back to Mercy Thompson series 
when I first saw the covers, you know, here's this half-dressed woman with tattoos all over, and I thought it was one of those kind of erotica-style urban fantasies. And I finally one day picked up a book and read it and realized, no, it's something completely different. And then, um, um, and then sometimes covers can be inside jokes, like the Dresden series. Um, Jim Butcher, uh, uh, Dresden, in, his, in the book, you know, as part of his interior monologue, says about how much he hates hats, but he's always wearing a hat on the cover. And Jim Butcher commented on about how the more that Dresden says he hates hats, the bigger the hat gets on the cover. So, you know, so yeah, so it can be something of a, of a joke, but it, you know, it's it gives the the um the uh, the reader kind of an idea and a tantalizing glimpse of what they might find because you know we're all visual people. And and uh, so we oftentimes need that. And I, th- I think that the cover artists are the unsung artists of our age um, right now, that they don't get enough appreciation. Yeah, they do amazing work. I, the person that I have do, the graphic designer that does my covers I, right now, I love his work. His, his name's Christopher Brown. And he, the first time I described to him my character, my central character, Desiree Jackson, he drew a picture of this woman, and I was in awe of this. And then I said, that's awesome, but that's not what I want. (laughs) 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 And um, much to his chagrin, but it was because I wanted an image that did not actually show her face. So I wanted you to be able to see her, her body, maybe her hair, whatever, but I and get a sense of her that way without seeing her face. And the reason is because I don't like it when other authors tell me exactly what somebody looks like by showing me a picture. Because I want to formulate that picture in my head. You know? Yeah. So I, I tend to like that better. And uh it was interesting to see what he came up with though. Because he is quite an artist because he can he doesn't mm-hmm. he graphically designs, he can draw, he can do all of those things. He did this one image of, for my first book, Hush, it's an image of a a woman with a hand over her mouth. And initially, when he did that, he didn't have a glove on the hand. And so you'd see the hand, and like, something's not right. Something's not working with this. Because it's a mystery thriller, and people die. (laughs) The person might wearing, you know, a glove might work better. But he came up with that on his own, you know. So I think you're right. I mean, Mm -hmm. some of these people who do these covers, you know, it, they're amazing. They, the talent yeah. that's out in the world in the realm of cover design, graphic design is astounding to me. And there's yeah, lots well, Clara, of um, I know when we did Clara, uh, you know, you could see her face and, and I was, I had the same reaction when I first saw it was like, I don't know if I want to, you know, I was having second thoughts. I'm like, I don't know if I really want to give the reader an idea of what she looks like, but it's just, it's so it was so beautiful that I I, I ended up <laughs> kind of saying okay fine but the next two covers I've done you don't you don't see the woman's face and I find that I I actually like those a little bit better than the first one but funny story with Clara um, there was something going on with the background of the mountains because you look at the cover you can kind of see the mountains in the background I specifically requested there be mountains and um, it was like a face in the mountains. Hmm. And and I told Fiona, I said, on sea, you could see a face in the mountains. And she said, well, she said, I didn't see that before, but now that you pointed it out, I can't unsee it. <laughs> so, yeah. 
That's so funny. When, yeah, I had, no. when Christopher did, when Chris did my second cover for North Downey, the, the cover has, it's an image of like some houses or whatever, and three guys, you see their shadows. And when he mm-hmm. first did these shadows, you know, these guys are supposed to be you know, like ex-military type dudes and all that. And one of them, he was wearing these baggy pants that looked a little bit weird. And yeah. it made him look like he had a really big butt. <laughs> and I was trying to figure out what was wrong with this image. I'm like, why? Something's just off. Something's not right. And that became the joke between us was this whole, you know, just cut off the butt thing and make the leg do this. I mean, it was just a, a comedy relief. It was really funny. The things that yeah. I saw versus what he was intending were <laughs> entertaining. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's surprising, you know, when you order a cover, what you're, you have, you have pet peeves that you didn't know that you had. Like, when Claire's return, the cover for that was being made, and you know, I told, you know, I told Fiona, you know, I want a giant, but I'm going to have crackly skin for a specific reason that I'm not going to say, because it'll spoil the book. And, um, and so she sent it, and there's Clara, she has her back to the audience, but originally, she had crossed swords on the back, and she was reaching, um, uh, to pull both of them at the same time. And I have a big problem just from a history standpoint of people of the whole sword on the back, reaching on the back and grabbing and pulling because that wasn't actually a thing. And, uh, and I told her, she said, you know, and she, there was a, a bit of a limitation, I think, regarding the image that she, the, I think the clip art or not clip art, but the model that she was using. And I said, okay, well, let's just do one, um, blade then instead of two, and uh, so that's that's what we ended up doing. So there's a little bit of compromise that that needs to happen, but I, mm-hmm. I was still very happy with the overall um, look of it. And I really like the knight that was on the cover because that could have been any of the male characters that appear in the books. It's not necessarily Emric mm-hmm. or Jarrett or or Asher the general or any of the other characters. He could be whichever one that the the um, reader wanted him to be. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting you bring up the, the sword on the back because I was looking at that that imagery. Um, and part of the reason is my background's martial arts. And so when I'm describing scenes, I'm usually playing them out in my head and then practicing them on someone, essentially. So I'm See, I'm, I'm jealous thing. of that because I'm terrible at fighting scenes. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I actually, well, when I was writing Claire's Return, I had somebody was um more into fighting than I was and, and – and he pointed out and said, uh, that's physically impossible. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm sorry, yeah, I interrupted you. No, it's, but see, that's true. You have to know, is it physically possible? And would this person draw the sword, for example, in this way? And at, it, even though it's fantasy, you need to know those things. And right. when I describe things for my character, for Des, she's a martial artist. And so she does things a certain way. And I make sure that whatever joint lock that's described actually can be used <laughs> on someone. Right. Well, you know, my my father detail. was a, a my father was a boxer uh, when when he was in the army, and so he taught me some boxing. And so in Claire's return, um, one of the most enjoyable scenes I wrote was when Jarrett, one of the main characters, teaches Clara how to throw a punch. Mm. And um, and I had just finished showing my husband how to. Uh, properly throw um a really good jab and um because you know with with the with what army training he had it was more to do with grappling and, and whatnot but um 
uh, you know, that was really enjoyable because I, I was able to draw on what my father taught me and then mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. he taught me how to, the proper way to, you know, make sure you don't lock your arm and, and how to bring power from your, your hips and, and, and everything, you know, kind of bring your whole body into the punch. And, um, and of course, then it led to a really fun little scene down the, near the end of the book uh, of her finally getting to, to use her passable uppercut as <laughs> I always think it's fun when I can actually describe something that I've used <laughs> or that I've learned. It's just fun. So, yeah. Susanna, tell everybody how they can find you. Well, um, you can find me on my website, SusannaLinton.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter, uh, my uh, Twitter.com slash SusannaLin, L-I-N. Uh, my name is spelled with a Z and two N's. Um, and uh, I'm also on Facebook. And uh, I also have a YouTube channel. I should be doing more videos on my YouTube channel soon. Um, but the links for all of that are on my website, Susanna Linton. What, what do you do on your YouTube channel? Uh, well, I plan on um, doing videos on the craft of writing. And I'll probably do more um, uh, just maybe some more like vlog type, what's, you know, personal, not really personal, personal, but, you know, what's going on in my life, how my writing's going, funny stories and antidote, antidotes and stuff, but it's probably just mostly going to focus on the craft of writing. Hmm. So. Okay. Very cool. Now, I should mention that you are also part of the Brain to Book Fiber Convention that's happening the first yes. weekend in April. So what, I'm so how did you find out about that? One. Oh, it is your first one. How did you find out about it? It is my first one. I, gosh, I think it was one of those Google search things where I just ended up in the right spot. <laughs> I, I honestly think that's how I ended up there. Like, Sounds oh, like me well. last year. I happened upon it. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Well, it's a fun event. You'll have a lot of fun. Depending on, you know, whatever you do, you'll have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. So enjoy your time. Um, and thank you thank so you. much for being with me here. Oh, great fun. <laughs> you have a great night. All right, you too. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, go over to Amazon and check out Susanna's books over there. The covers really are fabulous. I'm not going to lie. They look really cool. And one of the things about covers, it's cool because when you look at a series, you want the series to connect from one cover to the next cover to the next cover. And I think this cover designer has done a really good job of that with the first two books in the series that we were talking about, the Clara series that we were talking about. I can't speak to the next one because there's just the one book right now. So I don't know what will happen next. But for the first two, you can see they go together. And that makes you feel good, right, visually when you look at it. So go over to Amazon.com and look for Susanna J. Linton, who writes Dark Fantasy. She's actually listed under Dark Fantasy and Fantasy. Um, So go check that out. And be sure to leave some review love after you read her book. Thank you so much for joining me here on Back Porch Writer. I'm your host, Corey Miller. Until next time, pull the chair, sit spell, and write. Thanks for listening to Back Porch Writer. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe via iTunes so people just like you can find the show. If you've got comments, questions, or want to be a guest, visit BackPorchWriter.com for details. I'm your host, Corey Miller. Until next time, pull the chair, sit spell, and write.